This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Junkyard Dogcast. I'm Jordan Hill. With me, as always, is Kip Adams. Kip, we are right uh, right before the 4th of July, kind of a little bit of a quiet week, although that could pretty much change at any moment. Uh, how is this week treated? Well, it's a lot cooler this week, so I uh, appreciate Mother Nature throwing some rain down on us. Uh, it was much appreciated. Uh, the, the AC got to take a small break. And uh, yeah, end of the month, Braves are playing great. Uh, you know, we got uh, Desante Murray from the Spurs. Big week for the Hawks as well. So uh, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty excited. I'm, I'm pumped for July. I know, obviously, with recruiting, it's a little bit of a a downtick as far as you know visits for the most part. Because we got kind of a dead period coming up until that last week in, in July. But uh, I don't think it's going to be a quiet a month for recruiting overall. So I, I think I'm just, you know, ready to, to close out June strong. And hopefully the, the Braves can do that as well and beat those Phillies again. It feels pretty good being three games back. It, you know, if you would have said that, you know, a month or so ago, uh, most people would have kind of laughed at you, thought we were just going to be a wild card team. And now it feels like we got a chance. So overall, uh, you know, everything seems to be going going well in all aspects. It's is. An exciting uh, time for Atlanta sports fans, and I think for Georgia sports fans in general. It's just the, the high has not come down uh, from multiple na- you know championships being brought to the state. Yeah, you brought that up. I wanted to mention this because I threw it on the board. A really cool day on Wednesday at the College Football Hall of Fame. NASCAR driver, Georgia native Chase Elliott was there. They had his championship trophy from 2020. They had the World Series trophy, and they had the College Football Playoff trophy. Kip, I gotta admit, I was jealous. I was like, man, I wish there was a uh, they had given us a little heads up. I'd have been down there hanging out with Chase and, and taking some photos of these trophies. Yeah, those that that was a big trophy. It was a uh, you know, <laughs> I I don't I can't say it ever seen. I guess the the NASCAR Cup trophy, but uh, yeah, significantly in, you know uh, in size, I guess very impressive and. Just seeing all of them there, you would have thought they would have promoted that uh, before now. Uh, maybe it did. We just we missed the press release, but just having all those there uh, seems like a big deal. I know I get the the emails all the time telling me, you know, where the uh, to see the Braves World Series trophy. You know, it's in a different spot all the time. I think it's in Ostel tomorrow, and uh, it's it's everywhere. You know, every week. So if you're going to have them all in one place, and it's a place that people typically enjoy going to in the College Football Hall of Fame. I think it's it's a cool deal down there in Atlanta. Uh, promote that. Uh, it's, it's a big deal. And you have Chase Elliott there. So unless it's closed off to the public with him being there, I would think that would be kind of a big deal. No doubt about it. Well, we're going to go ahead and get into today's episode. Uh, Rusty Mansell is out. I know he was at uh, a padded camp up there in Rome, so he's obviously keeping the roads hot and keeping you uh, all informed on what's going on and, and the upcoming players to keep your eyes on. 
So Kip and I are going to do another mailbag episode of the podcast. We went through, appreciate all the people on the board who ask questions. Tell the people, too, who are watching, uh, go into the comments, ask questions. We'll do our best to get a good mix of questions from the people watching, as well as our board members who decided to hit us up with some questions. We're going to start, since recruiting is such a big topic right now, we will start with Hooper G. Dog, who asked, will UGA have the number one recruiting class at the end of August? And then there was a second part of that we can get to in a second. But let's start with that, Kip. When we get to that point in the year, what do you think this class is going to look like? Will it have a shot at being number one at the end of August? Man, what a great question. I think, uh, you know, there are a lot of variables involved with just saying, will they be number one? I mean, right now, Georgia's number six, uh, 11 verbal commitments right now on the board publicly for Georgia. But as, you know, as we've said, we expect July to to be a big one for Georgia recruiting. And, you know, they're, they're going to add a lot of guys to the class and we know of a couple guys who are going to announce their commitment. So it's probably a good uh, chance, you know, opportunity to kind of mention those guys. You got Jonel Aguero, the five-star safety. I think Georgia has a good chance of adding him to the mix. He announces on July 23rd. You have Jamal Jarrett, the massive defensive tackle, gets a lot of comparisons to Jordan Davis, 6'5", 345 pounds. He announces July 19th. I like Georgia there as well. And then, you know, you have the opportunity for some other guys to announce as well, including Daniel Harris. He's going to start off the month of July announcing his commitment, a four-star cornerback out of Miami. He's going to announce Friday. So I I like Georgia's chances there. So that's three guys right now to add to the group. I think they're going to add some other guys in, in the month of July. I mean, we don't have announcement dates for some guys, but when you start, you know, adding some guys to to the class calculator in 24-7 sports, Guys that maybe Georgia's in a good spot with. Let's say, you know, like a Kelton Smith, the offensive lineman out of Carver, Columbus. Sadir Mitchell, the the defensive tackle up there in New Jersey. Those are guys that I think could announce their commitments in the month of July that Georgia's in good shape with. Right there, you're already talking about having 17 verbal commitments right there. If something like that were to happen in July, that puts Georgia looking at the class calculator at 265 and some change. Maybe there's a rankings update that, you know, changes that a little bit. But that right there, that would move them ahead of Notre Dame, who's right now at 262 points. But at the same time, we're not expecting schools like Notre Dame, Ohio State, Texas uh, to not land any commitments as well in the month of July. So mathematically speaking, will Georgia end July with the number one class? It's definitely possible. Uh, I think that, again, there are other guys that I haven't even mentioned that could announce their commitments to Georgia in July that, you know, Georgia leads for right now or have already told the coaching staff they plan to come. So it's very possible it happens, but at the same time, we don't know if other programs are going to land uh, several commitments. I think regardless, you, you look at where Georgia stands right now, they're in really great shape overall in the class, and I just think going into the season, they're going to have a lot of recruiting momentum overall. And I think fans will be really excited about the group that's on board in that recruiting class. No doubt. I mean, I think looking at it with the parameters of the question, will they have the number one at the end of August? It's really hard to say. I feel like a, a good projection is probably in the top three. I think they have a very good shot at being in the top three, which if you can bring in that kind of talent, I know it feels nice to get that number one class and what's considered the number one class in the nation. They'd be still honestly sitting pretty if they have a chance to be in that mix. 
Uh, go to one of the questions that's in the chat. Are we in it for Robert Stafford? He's been around 2 p.m. Uh, he's one of the finalists. I think from what I've seen, Miami seems like might be the favorite. Um, so, you know, might be uh, one of those that Georgia may not wind up getting, but there's a, several other guys are still in the mix for and I think will be in good shape there. Uh, the second question that Hooper G. Dog hit on uh, and asked us with was, will the offense outshine the defense this season for Georgia? I don't think so. I know that the defense lost a whole lot of playmakers from last year. I still think this defense has a lot of talent. You know, looking at – you can even see, too, in the positional breakdowns and the rankings we've seen that Hip and I have written a bunch about. You know, a lot of outlets see Georgia's position groups on defense still being among the best in the nation, you know, specifically defensive backs. I know Phil still had them number one. I think their linebackers are still in really good shape, particularly – I know they lost a lot of production inside linebacker, but some of those guys back I think are really, really interesting. And then you you factor in Nolan Smith coming back. I think this offense is going to be good, and I think by me saying that, if you're a fan, that shouldn't make you worry about the offense. I just know what I've seen from Kirby Smart year after year, and the defense has always come through and made a lot of plays and done a very good job of reloading talent uh, and, and you know picking up essentially where the last guy left off. Uh, Kip, what do you think as far as offense versus defense? Do you have a feel for what you think uh, may be the stronger part of the Georgia team in 2022? I mean, I think it goes without saying that, you know, asking this group on paper to defensively be more productive or better than last year's maybe generational defense, a defense that we might not see again just as far as the depth for, for a while. Um, but if that comes down to being a top three, top five defense, which I think is well within reason uh, for expectations, Georgia's offense is continuing to get, you know, last year's version. It gets, you know, it's not talked about enough how just efficient and productive the offense was last year. Uh, just, you know, whether that's top 10, top 15 offense, if that improves to, you know, number eight offense in the country there's still a chance that the defense is is higher ranked at the end of the year than, than the offense. I just think it we might be getting closer to the balance and the two just being equally productive, but we're still talking about both sides of the ball are probably going to be considered among the 10 best in the country. So I just think it's it's more it's more just kind of uh you know returning to the mean as far as the offense and defense are concerned. And that's really just what you should see at Georgia when they're just recruiting at a high level. They have so much talent on both sides of the ball that, you know, they have the capability of being among the best in the country. That was the goal for Kirby Smart when he came to Georgia, which is to maximize this roster, increase the talent across the board, and he's done that. So uh, maybe the offense outshines the defense. I think people usually gravitate toward the offense. So if, if Georgia's putting up 42 points a game this season and, and allowing, you know, 14, 15 points a game, then you can pick which side of the ball you, you think is shining more. But I think that it's a situation where both could shine equally this year. And I think that bodes pretty well for Georgia. No doubt about it. To go to another question. This was a really interesting one from Philly Blood. If the NCAA limit for on-field coaches is lifted, what positions do you believe will be added? I imagine Buster Faulkner as QB coach and potentially Scott Cochran back on the field. Any others you would expect? Uh, Kip, you can chime in here as well. I mean, I think those are the two big ones, the most obvious ones, Buster Faulkner and Scott Cochran. Uh, you know, Buster has gotten a lot of credit for the work he's done with Georgia's quarterbacks and also 
and, and trying to really sell, you know, the future of the quarterback position at Georgia. You know, we heard about Buster a good bit when it came to Arch Manning. Uh, the only other person between besides those two guys that strikes me as would make sense would be Mike Bobo, just given his experience, given his wealth of knowledge. He would be the other guy if they, you know, were really looking at uh, adding on to, uh, you know, and really taking advantage if the NCAA gets rid of that rule that limits how many on-field coaches you can have. Keep um, anyone else come to mind or any thoughts on those three potentially being uh, added to the on-field staff when it's all said and done? If, if you're allowed to have as many on-field coaches as you want, then they're just going to specialize it even more. You know, we would have uh, a kicker's coach out there. Uh, you, you're going to also just have specialized recruiting positions. You're going to have a coach out there to recruit every single position. And, I mean, if you're talking Georgia, you just start looking at, like, wide receiver. You have an outside wide receivers coach. You have, you know, you bring in all this – you know, say it, you, you bring in a guy like Hines Ward to coach the slot receivers at Georgia. Uh, you know, you, Kirby would always be thinking about recruiting, but just overall, how can I improve my coaching staff? And if if you're lifting a limit on how many coaches he could put on the field, then he's going to bring in every single coach possible, a pass rush coach, you know, a uh, cornerbacks uh, 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 coach. It's just if you're able to add more guys, then he's he's going to add more guys. So I think it's a situation where you want to know what the recruiting calendar is, uh, for one. Uh, I think that's another thing that they're going to probably streamline. It's just when coaches can go out and recruit, how many can go out and recruit. If you're, if you're lifting the limit on how many coaches can go out and recruit, uh, uh, you know, how much structure is there going to be there to – give these coaches uh, a chance to have a breather because it's kind of that's that, that's kind of where we're at right now is where they're, they're recruiting nonstop and if they're not recruiting I mean they're they have the they have practice they have fall camp that the one the one time you have a dead period it, it's time to start preparing for the season so I, I think that's something that they have to look at and say hey if we don't get if we don't force them to to take a break they're not going to take a break because it's just too competitive out there and especially in recruiting, they're going to try having people on campus, you know, as often as they can, or they're going to send coaches out as often as they can. So that that's kind of where things are. I would not expect uh, this to happen, you know, this fall. And I don't think they're anywhere close to that. I just think it's a situation where they're starting to get a little bit of a conversation involved about what they'd like to do there. I think it's more something that they'll be looking for for next year. And I'm really interested to see what they do. It's going to be really intriguing, not only for Georgia, but, you know, for all these teams that we know have built humongous support staffs. You've got to imagine some of those guys would be coming on field. And then again, like you said, Kip, I mean, bringing in specialty coaches for certain positions. I mean, it'd be really, really fascinating just to see how that plays out. Uh, I want to bring up one more question before we take a break. And I thought this was a really interesting one from Big Dog Status 99. He said, why, despite Georgia having excellent coaches for DB since Kirby has been here, has Georgia seemingly experienced depth issues in the secondary? Transfers, injuries, missing on evals or targets was part of the question. Uh, I think a big part of it is just the transfer portal. I think that the fact that so many of these guys want to see the field, you know, I made a list of the guys who left just in this past year, Latavius Brini, Jalen Kimber, Amir Speed, Lavoisier Carroll. Those are all guys that, you know, depending, you know, they had different amounts of playing time and basically different outlooks on what roles they would play. 
but those were guys that decided they were going to go elsewhere. And, you know, the, some of these guys, I think, have big opportunities at their new schools. Uh, I think that's what it boils down to. And it was something that Kirby talked about on March 22nd. He was talking about uh, the depth issues that Georgia had, and he pointed to receiver and he pointed to defensive back, having really uh, thin, being really thin in both positions as far as uh, the depth chart goes. And Kirby said those guys are a little higher maintenance in terms of thinking of themselves. They expect to play right away and go. It's certainly a position of concern for us in terms of recruiting and development as a skill position. To me, that's what it sort of boils down to, not so much on maybe missing on some of the recruits they did sign or, or anything like that. I think they just see, you know, in some of those DBs they've had, talented guys that were kind of, you know, waiting in the wings. And you get a situation with the portal. Um, it obviously works both ways. Uh, but those guys decided they want to go elsewhere and, and try their luck, you know, like Amir Speed going to Michigan State, Jalen Kimber going to Florida. Uh, those guys see opportunities elsewhere. So that's sort of what it boils down to me. And, and that's what makes some of those positions really crucial for this 2023 class. We've seen Georgia uh, really pursuing some, you know, top-of-the-line recruits in that secondary uh, they've done a good job so far adding to those positions, and we'll see how it goes. You know, even this week uh, with a guy like Daniel Harris, a cornerback that's going to be announcing uh, if Georgia can continue uh, to add valuable pieces in the secondary. Yeah, and then if you just look at last year and, you know, the guys that were playing for other programs, you think a guy like Tyreek Stevenson would not have played significant stats for Georgia. He He would have started. He was in line to start you know, and goes to Miami and, you know, starts there. And then you look at uh, also Major Burns, you know, started at LSU. I think he got hurt, but started there. That's two guys that probably play significant minutes for Georgia last year. And then the fact that, you know, they thought they had an All-American that was coming on board to help in Tyke Smith, you know, and he tears his ACL. He has the, the injury early on the season then tears his ACL in the Auburn game. Uh, that's three guys right there, one obviously who was on the roster to start the season, and, and they had to, to look elsewhere. So if you're if you're looking at why there might be some, you know, depth issues in the secondary, it's three guys who left the, you know, roster at some point last year who probably would have started for Georgia last year on that, you know, elite defense that they had. So it just, one, it kind of shows you where those depth issues may have come from, and also just, points back to just how how good the defense still was without all those guys and without Jermaine Johnson being at Florida State. You know, uh, it's 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 very impressive what they were able to do. At the same time, Kirby's – the depth issues at Georgia are not the same as depth issues at other places. That's what that's why you can still play at a high level because you still have guys that are talented there. They just aren't up to where Kirby Smart wants them to be right now. And he's asking a lot. For, for his guys on defense, but when those guys are ready to step in and, and earn that playing time, they usually play at a really high level. So it's just the expectations from Kirby Smart are really high, and some of these young guys are on the roster right now. I mean, he's going to push them in fall camp, and, you, and they talk about how practice is, you know, the hardest part of Georgia's season last year. I mean, it kind of that, – that tells you why. He's trying to prepare them so that the games are actually easier than the practice. So I just think some of these young guys, once they get acclimated to that, I think Georgia's depth at safety will, will start to, 
you know, start to even out a little bit. And, and some of these young, talented guys will be able to step into the much bigger roles, just like we saw from Lewis Seen. Yeah, I thought it was very important, Kip, that you brought up Tyke Smith. He's one of my big question marks coming in. You know, he played really, really well at West Virginia and really just couldn't stay healthy last year, banged up at the start of the year and then had that torn ACL. He, he's a guy to watch, and he's a guy that I think, you know, for the sake of Georgia's secondary, um, is going to be really important. I want to see how he factors in if he's able to win uh, that safety spot out opposite of Chris Smith. Um, so we're going to take a quick break, but we got more questions coming up. A lot of numbers-based questions, a lot of over-unders we're going to tackle. We'll see if we can handle that and uh, and see what we got on there. So uh, we'll take a quick break and then be right back. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Welcome back, everybody. Well, yeah, there were a couple of questions on here that were very similar between Kirby Smart 1 and Memphis Dog. And uh, reading Memphis Dog's question, ahead of fall camp, where opinions are bound to change, who would be players you project to lead the team in sacks, tackles for a loss if it's different than sacks, interceptions, and then I'll go and take Kirby Smart 1. I asked basically the the same thing, except also asked about rushing touchdowns. Um, I kind of, you know, look through and, and try to really think about my options for these Russian touchdowns. I think I'm going to give it to Kenny McIntosh. I think he's going to be the guy that's kind of the lead guy. Uh, you know, really it seems like it'll be between him and, and Kendall Milton, but I think I would give Kenny the edge there. Sacks, I kind of went back and forth on because to me, the two options that really look good are Nolan Smith and Jamon Dumas Johnson. At the end, I kind of went for the inexperienced guy. I went with Jamon. I think that just hearing as much as we have about what he was able to do in spring, even hearing some of his teammates talk about how he played last year, you know, in limited roles, getting in that UAB game, and I think he had a sack, and I think he had a pick six. I mean, I think this guy has a chance to pick up where these inside linebackers left off. Uh, didn't, uh, didn't I made sure and included Nolan. I thought that he's going to have a big season. I gave him the edge. Uh, on tackles for loss and then interceptions uh, again that one I had a couple of different options that I think are very viable have a really good chance I'm going to give it to the experienced safety in Chris Smith I think he did a really good good job last year I think he had four interceptions when the season was said and done I think he was only behind Darion Kendrick when it came to picks Uh, but I think him being a super senior being a guy that's been around uh, I think he's going to make plays as far as getting a few picks uh, Kip, what do you think about these different uh, categories? Who do you think are going to be the stat leaders when it's said and done for Georgia? Man, great question. I think, uh, you know, rushing touchdowns, you know, 
I want to say Kendall Melton just because I think that, you know, his style might be more conducive to, you know, getting more carries in the red zone. But I got I have to see it from him. I have to see, you know, I have to see him one stay healthy and and two miss tackles. I think the the thought of Kendall Milton so far has been, you know, a little bit greater than what we've been able to see on the field. The talent is there. Um, he's got a chance to, you know, be a, a Najee Harris type back, just a bigger back that's able to do a little bit of everything. But, you know, when these two guys get on the field, uh, Kenny McIntosh has been the guy who's produced. So we, we talk about Kenny McIntosh as maybe being like, you know, that James Cook or his ability as a receiver, but but I think his ability to make players miss in the open field gives him a chance to to break off some big runs and potentially have some you know some long rushing touchdowns. So you know I like Kenny McIntosh as well in that area. Uh, you go go into sacks. You know that one that one's tough because you you, you know you mentioned uh, Nolan Smith. He hasn't been able to really put up big sack numbers so far, but you know as as far as pressure in the quarterback. You know, he he's a guy that, you know, has a lot of ability there. I think he was third or fourth in that last year. Hasn't been able to finish in that aspect. So I, I do think, you know, he has a chance to to be the guy for Georgia in that area. But, you know, I'll, I, I think Jalen Carter can be the guy to lead them in sacks. He's a guy that, you know, kind of played behind the big three. Uh, the last couple of years with Trevon Walker, you know, you had Devontae Wyatt, uh, obviously Jordan Davis. Those guys were the, you know, had big roles. But, I mean, Jalen Carter's the most disruptive player on Georgia's defense. And if he's going to be the leader of this defense uh, this season, uh, I think getting to the quarterback is going to be important. You know, everyone, you look at the the outside linebacker position at Georgia as being the one that's kind of featured as far as maybe Havoc plays, uh, but I mean, Jalen Carter had eight and a half tackles for loss last year. He has the opportunity to, to get back there and, and, and wreak havoc. And I think so. If you're looking for tackles for loss, you're looking for sacks. I think Jalen Carter leads Georgia in both and has an All American season. Kind of that standout on defense to you know to really rack up the stats, regardless of the fact that he's going to see a double and triple teams. I think he's just too talented. And too disruptive for for opposing offensive linemen to to really you know get their hands on them. Um, as far as interceptions, I kind of look at it usually in Georgia's offense. You have your safeties; they're able to kind of you know play a little bit of center field out there. But uh, I think you know Keely Ringo is going to have a, a lot of eyes on him. Opposing uh, offensive coordinators are probably going to try to avoid him. So I, I think Kamari Laster is that guy. I think he's the guy that had four or five interceptions this year. He's able to hold off all of these talented freshmen and, and keep the starting cornerback position, which I think he's capable of doing this season. Then I think he can be a guy that can be highly productive for Georgia. I think he's going to have a lot of passes thrown his way. It's going to be up to him if he can make plays in the ball and, and read, you know, read the quarterback well enough to, to time those plays in the ball. But I really liked what I saw from him and, and the fact that he played as much as he did last year as a freshman with all the other talented defensive backs on the roster just tells me that, you know, Kirby Smart will must champ. They all see a lot in him. And I think they're going to ask a lot of him in year two. Shout out to Jordan Harris, who made sure and pointed out he got back on here. He mentioned his streak being on the uh, the live podcast. I liked uh, his options for that question. Interceptions, Ringo. Sacks, a guy that I was going to bring up, Robert Bill. You know, who led, you know, we we didn't pick the guy that led the team in sacks last year, which seems like a, a fair enough uh, 
a decision by Jordan, and he agreed with us with Kenny McIntosh. Uh, I think it's uh, going to be really interesting. And I think I thought you made a really good point, Kip, of picking Lassiter because you know now Keely Ringo is that known commodity. People know now they can't really afford to test him because more often than not, you know, it's not going to go their way. I mean, looking at the Heisman Trophy winning quarterback throwing a pick six to Keeley in that championship game, you got to think some of these offensive coordinators are going to, you know, really be concerned about challenging a guy like that, a guy that, as we keep seeing, you know, a lot of people think has a really, really good chance uh, to be a, a top draft pick when we get to 2023. Yeah, I just think that there are a lot of these guys are going to have, uh, you know, game plans built around them. And I, I think, the again, the one guy that I think is able to beat that, I just go back to Jalen Carter. I know Beal, again, productive when he was on the field. You, you know, you didn't have Adam Anderson out there. Like I said, Jermaine Johnson, uh, you know, obviously at Florida State had a big year. Bill stepped up when they needed him to in a lot of those games. But I, I'm not sure how many snaps, you know, really – his position, which is a little bit different, you know, you, ha- you have the Jack position, but I think, I think Nolan Smith is going to play a lot of, a lot more snaps than Robert Bill will this year. And I, I think that if out of those two people, I think Nolan Smith's going to have more opportunities. It's really just about him finishing. I and mean, that's the one aspect of his game. He hasn't really been able to put together. And so I, you know, I, I do think that in the end, no one has more sacks this year than Robert Bill, but I just like Jalen Carter. I just think he he's a guy that he, he's used to being double and triple teamed when he's on the field, even when you have those other defensive linemen. And I think he's just going to be highly productive this year and and potentially give Georgia another top ten overall pick in, in next year's draft. Jay Evans in the comments mentioned I think Nylon Green will bring some noise. Like what I saw from Nylon during spring practice, it'll be very interesting to see what kind of role he carves out on this defense. Uh, let's get through a couple more questions before we wrap up uh, this episode. Really like this one from the Austin Dog, kind of sticking with the numbers. Uh, said, hey, Jordan, would love your prediction for this upcoming season. Top three in order among receivers and tight ends for most yards and most touchdowns. Uh, he said, assuming Bowers is an obvious choice in the next three after Brock. Yeah, I mean, I think after the season Brock Bowers had, I'd be crazy not to say that he'll be the top receiver again. Uh, you know, and I think Georgia's in a position where they're not going to need him to be the, you know, the be-all, end-all, even at his own position. Uh, so looking at most yards, I gave the edge to Brock Bowers. I said Adonai Mitchell will be second. I think AD is poised to really be that number one receiver. And we heard it throughout spring, and I thought he backed it up. I think he'll be that guy. And then as far as receiving yards, I went with Ladd McConkey. I still think that he's going to play a, a very important role uh, on this passing attack and have a big role uh, and make a lot of plays. I think that Ladd's going to find a way uh, to still be involved and, and still help and contribute in a big way. Uh, going with the most touchdowns gave the edge to Brock again. Again, I'm not I'm not crazy. I'm going to need to see it to believe it if someone other than Brock Bowers can have the most receiving touchdowns. A.D. Mitchell is who I had second. And then Arik Gilbert was who I think is going to be the third guy. I think, you know, that he's going to play a big role in this passing game. And, and I think he'll have his share of yards. He was kind of the third guy I looked at between him and Ladd and a couple of the other options, Karis Jackson as well. Uh, but I think that, you know, he's really going to be a guy that when they're in the red zone, they look to to get the ball. I mean, you saw even – I know it was just a scrimmage, but at G-Day, he had really 
uh, two impressive touchdown grabs, had another big grab on the very last drive that uh, basically helped Georgia get in field goal range to win the game. I think that, you know, he's going to have a big role, and I think he's going to uh, make some big plays in the passing game. Uh, Kip, where do you kind of uh, sit with these two questions as far as who's going to have the most receiving yards and who's going to have the most touchdowns when it's said and done? Well, I like five of your picks. I say that I think I, I like your top three for touchdowns. I like your top two for yards. Uh, I have a different pick I uh, for number three, and I think this is a guy that, you know, maybe isn't being talked about a lot just because he hasn't been on the field a while, but I, I think he's going to come out in a big way, and I think it's Dominic Blaylock. I think he's going to be ready for fall camp, and I think he's going to be that guy. You know, you look at Jermaine Burton going to Alabama, uh, you know, an all-around – arguably Georgia's most talented receiver on the roster last season. They they need more help, uh, you know, outside of at that Z receiver position. And I, I just think that Dominic Blaylock can play slot, but you have Karis Jackson, you have Arian Smith, but Dominic Blaylock can also play outside. I think he's that talented. I think he's a guy that's going to get an opportunity to catch a lot of passes. And, I mean, you saw what he did as a freshman. Uh, you, you know, he is as reliable as you can get as a pass catcher, but he also, you know, was really able to make defenders miss as well. And so I just think that he's a guy that's going to get a lot of touches as long as he's able to come into fall camp, show he's back the where he was before. Uh, I think he's going to be one of Georgia's top three receivers this year. And I, I think he's ready to do that. I mean, I think that from all I've heard that, you know, this offseason that, that he's got, you know, being able to get back to where he was and being able to participate, I, I think he's ready to get out there and get back in the field because you know just him on the sideline just watching last year, he's itching to get out there. He's just a competitor. He's always had that in him, and I, I think he's going to showcase uh, that he was a very talented freshman, and he is still one of the most talented wide receivers on Georgia's roster this year. Let's tackle one more question before we get out of here. This one from Hunker Down. Name a player or players who would have been a household name if they were not buried in the depth chart last year. Bottom line, who benefits the most from all the drafted players leaving? And then the, also a, an add-on to that was, what are we cooking this weekend since we're getting ready for 4th of July? I had two answers as far as the first question, as far as who is really going to benefit. And one of the guys is one that I feel like I wish I had a dollar every time we've mentioned his name, Jamon Dumas Johnson. You just think about uh, the depth they had at inside linebacker. Just look at those guys that got drafted. I mean, seeing guys like Quay Walker and Nakobe Channing Tindall, uh, those guys all had big opportunities and made a lot of plays. Uh, but I think that Jamon is a real deal. I think he's a guy that, you know, we continue to see that Glenn Schumann gets the most out of these inside linebackers, even looking at, some of the guys they've got committed in the 2023 class, he knows what he's looking for. You know, he knows what he's wanting and what is needed uh, to come to Georgia and really excel at inside linebacker. I think Jamon's got a really good chance to do that this season and really turn a lot of heads. The other person that I think will really benefit is Zion Lowe, a guy that, you know, even going back to the very first day of spring, Kirby was asked about him and, you know, Kirby didn't mince his words. You know, he said that, you know, there's a lot of, uh, you know, not necessarily pressure, but I mean, he's going to have to step up with losing guys like Jordan Davis, Devontae Wyatt. Uh, I think Zion's got a really good chance to make plays. I think, you know, probably playing mostly that zero technique beside Jalen Carter. Uh, I think he's going to have real opportunities. I think he's a guy that has bided his time. 
a guy that when we talked to him during spring, he talked about, you know, getting a lot more mature growing in the time he's been at Georgia. That's something Kirby even talked about that, you know, basically uh, he was a little immature when he first got to Georgia, which isn't anything new. I mean, when you got guys that come to this level, they have to learn right away, you know, what it takes and what the expectations are. I think Zion's been a guy that has understood that and has grown from that. And I think he's got a chance to be really special this season. It definitely, I mean, those are great picks. They actually were the guys that I would have mentioned uh, if, if I had gotten the opportunity to speak first, but you get that benefit as the host, Jordan. So, you know, for me, you start looking at the depth chart, and obviously you have to look at this guys that went to the draft last year and guys who had the opportunity to, to step up and, and, and replace him. And, yeah, uh, you know, Jermon Dumas Johnson got some opportunities last year, and he made the most of them. You kind of just have to look and see what other linebacker you know, at that money and Mac position, which one of these guys, you know, has a chance to, to step up and, and replace a, the most talented trio of inside backers we've kind of seen at Georgia. You know, I, I like Tresman Marshall. If he can stay healthy, uh, his athleticism, you know, is is really up there. It's, you know, it's right there with the guys that, that I just, you know, we talked about with Clay Walker, uh, Kobe Dean, obviously Channing Tindall. Uh, he's got that kind of capability as far as his athleticism. He's one of the fastest guys. I mean, they have those GPS uh, trackers on him. He's he's always up there in the linebacker group, but he just has to stay healthy. He's had major injuries uh, the last couple of seasons. He had a shoulder injury in 2020. I know he had the knee injury uh, last year, but during preseason camp, you know, he's the guy that I hear about a lot from the you know the coaches at Georgia that really impressed them. It, you know, if he can come into camp and, and you know stay healthy. I think he can have a breakout season and kind of be that next guy at, you know, LBU for Georgia. And, and you know, you mentioned Jamon Dumas Johnson, obviously, but if there's any program that can have more than one guy that, that has a breakout season at inside linebacker, it's definitely Georgia. Yeah, Jordan Harris agrees. He says, my guy Kip, and he says he will show out this season. Watch, talking about <laughs> Tresman Marshall. Uh, also, uh, the question about what we're going to have this weekend, I think we're going to keep it simple over at uh, the Hill household. I think we're probably doing burgers and uh, hot dogs, anything on the uh, firing up the grill or anything like that for uh, Fourth of July weekend. Kit. Well, uh, you know, assuming that the weather's good, uh, it, it's kind of a small window. It's either going to, you know, rain or just be really, really hot. It's it's tough to get the Kamado Joe out there for those low and slow cooks. I just uh, I don't have it in me. You know, I open that door and that he hits me in the face, but, you know, kind of, kind of man up and, and, and brave it out there. You know, I might, I might just fire up the, the Blackstone and, and just go the easy route. Like you said, do, do some burgers, uh, you know, maybe, uh, maybe I throw some, some wings on there uh, on the Kamado and, and try to get, you know, something done pretty quickly. And that's going to be the key. So uh, I don't think I'll be throwing up the, uh, the Boston butter, you know, uh, anything else like that or ribs this year, but uh, I'm looking forward to it, man. Just just getting outside for a little bit, staying cool, uh, being safe and, and just enjoying the time with the family. This is, uh, you know, it's just a great weekend and uh, hopefully all you guys enjoy it as well. Before we get out of here, I did want to throw in a little bit about Georgia men's basketball. Had a chance, and I'm sure a few of, of you guys have seen the story. If not, go check it out. Had a chance on Tuesday to sit down with Mike White, the new men's basketball coach. Uh, it was uh, you know, really uh, nice enough to, to invite me in. We did a one-on-one 
uh, had a chance just to kind of pick his brain about what he's seen so far at Georgia, sort of the feel he's gotten. Really liked what he had to say. You know, I thought that what he said and, and really his answers were really thought out. I thought that, you know, he was very realistic in how he's approaching this rebuild. You know, I don't think that was a word that Mike necessarily used. Um, but the biggest question I had had, uh, you know, I feel like he gave me a good answer on just asking him if the pieces were in place to win at Georgia. And, and you know, not to win in year one, but just eventually. Are, are the facilities, are the resources he has available enough to make Georgia a contender, which is obviously something they really have not been in the last 20 years, at least not consistently. And, you know, I thought Mike was uh, gave me a really good answer. I mean, he said that, you know, he thinks those pieces are in place. He said if he didn't think they were, he would not have taken the job. Um, you know, I, I was really intrigued by just what he had to say, what he had to share, sort of his vision for rebuilding this program. Obviously, this is a team that won six games last year. A lot of uh, progress is needed, a lot of work to be done. Uh, but it seems like so far everything's going pretty smoothly as they make this rebuild. Uh, someone did ask, I don't have the question pulled up, uh, as far as what I think win-loss total will be in this first year. For me, my guess is going to be like 14. I think that would be a successful season. You go like 14 and 18. I still don't think this year one is going to be a team that really contends in the SEC. But you're coming off a, a season where, again, you won six games in total. You won one SEC game. I think that'd be huge strides. And, uh, you know, it's something, too, we saw – uh, earlier this week, which SEC opponents are going to get, their conference schedule is pretty tough. I mean, the teams alone that they play just on the road, not some of the home and homes, are brutal. Arkansas, Alabama, uh, Texas A&M, that's a few of those teams. It's not going to be easy in year one. And, uh, you know, I'm not convinced that he'll come in and immediately get them winning. But I think he's taking the right approach, and I'm really going to be interested to see how this all comes together as the season gets closer. Yeah, I just think you could see the the contrast between what we saw with Tom Crean and he was a bit of a salesman. He's always tweeting and then but all at the same time the turnover that that he saw, just how many players left. Uh and then Mike White coming in and you know actually wanting a little bit of continuity and and being able to keep his top player, you know, from leaving through the porter portal and then you know uh bringing some of these guys back bringing your best players back and it you know it, it might be a little bit of a slow burn uh, that might be the expectation but but i just don't think the landscape allows that to an extent so maybe year one yeah uh but i i think mike white knows that you have to kind of expedite things just the rebuild process has to ha happen pretty quickly and so yeah, you just got to take the right guys. And, you got, and he knows that's the lesson he learned at Florida. Uh, you know, bringing the up-tempo style from Louisiana Tech, but then also having your best player be more of a methodical, you know, plotting uh, guard didn't work out well. And I think, you know, you're able to learn lessons as a coach. And, you know, and your trajectory is not just, you know, one-sided. It's not, you know, always going up, up or, you know, once you fail, you, you can't succeed again. So, I, I think that's that's where Georgia fans have to kind of find that middle ground and know that maybe Mike White hit his ceiling at Florida, but also maybe he learned a lot at Florida and his ceiling isn't the same at Georgia. And I you know while being Florida as far as a basketball program would be a huge success for Georgia, 
I don't think you should just look at this as just being the safe choice. I think that Georgia has an opportunity to have everything, you know, that you can look for uh, to be competitive consistently. And I think that is where Mike White will get Georgia. I think that, that is the upside in hiring a guy like him instead of, you know, maybe taking a chance on a guy who hasn't proven himself. I think being a top half of the SEC basketball program, getting to the tournament on a regular basis is the goal for Mike White, is the achievable goal for him. And I, I think that would be a huge success for him as a hire if that's what Georgia is able to do. Yeah, AD Josh Brooks made a big swing in getting a guy that knows the conference well. Uh, and I think it's going to be really fascinating to follow this team and especially just see how things go in year one as they try to build this thing into a contender. Uh, so we're going to get out of here on that. Thanks, everybody, for asking questions on the board. Thank you guys in the comments chiming in with thoughts and questions as well. Appreciate you guys supporting us. Make sure and pay attention to the site. There's going to be all kinds of stuff coming in the next few days. Uh, obviously stuff to watch. I'll shout out uh, this afternoon. I'll have a feature on Christian Miller that I'm really excited about. I had a chance to talk to some of his coaches. and uh, Got some really good insight on what Georgia's getting uh, in him as a defensive lineman. Uh, so more good content coming along the way with that. Uh, but we'll get out of here uh, on that note. Uh, thanks again to Kip for coming on. Uh, thanks, everybody, for watching and listening. Until next time, take care. Go Braves. It only takes two minutes of sheer horror. A new Paramount Plus original docuseries. We were dealing with a serial killer preying on elderly women. A cold-blooded killer hidden in plain sight. He's suffocating people with a pillows. Leaving corpses all over Texas. How did it happen? I was responsible for her. The guilt is immeasurable. They covered it up. Pillowcase Murders, now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus.